The following is the second episode in a two-part installment called In the Ring, where we look at two opposing sides of a theological issue and let the listeners decide which one they feel is most biblical. If you haven't listened to episode one yet, go back and listen to it. If not, that's fine too. You're a grown adult. You can do what you want. Or can you? Is it predestined? Or do you have free will? Well, welcome back, everybody, to the Beards and Bible podcast, our podcast where we discussed last time how beards are very spiritual and beards are very helpful for conversations such as these. My name's Josh. I'm joined by my co-host, Gabe. Gabe, do you like how I introed that? Because I do think that Reformed guys do have a, a beard. Uh, it's, I think beards are really important for Reformed mm. guys. I feel like last episode, that was a, that was a big deal. Yeah, no, I think we we had the trifecta of beards going on. Yeah, I mean, because you know, Spurgeon had a beard, Calvin had a beard. Uh, yeah, many yeah. of the the great Civil War generals um, sported <laughs> sported gentlemanly beards, and they were also very providential. They they left it in the hands of of providence. Mm. So yeah, so we could say that Reformed theology. If you listen to the first episode, basically it's just having a beard. That's it. Yeah, you got to go. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, did you get any feedback on that last episode? Anybody from your your congregation ask you about it? Um, yeah, actually, oddly enough, um, I was I was laying in bed, and sometimes the boys ask for like a you know after we read to them and stuff, and they're laying in bed. Sometimes they ask for like an audio book that we play for them, and you know they, we set it in between their bedroom doors so they can hear it. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm laying in bed, and I hear them call Stacy down the hall, and she goes down the hall, and they you know I think they're asking for something along the lines of like an audio book. And so she turns on the beers and Bible podcast and, <laughs> <laughs> and they're listening to the, the episode on um, the, our last episode. And, uh, and I'm like, Oh wow. Stacy has deemed our podcast the, the type of material to put our kids to sleep. So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's but, impressive. Yeah. And your oldest Noah is what? 12, 13. Yeah. Now? He's, he's going to turn 13 here in a okay. months. Yeah. Terrifying. That's impressive, yeah. That's impressive for a thirteen-year-old. If if it didn't, you know, put it put him immediately immediately to sleep. That's impressive that he was willing to to go there with those deep conversations. So yeah, but no, no, I've, we've gotten good feedback and um, looking forward to continuing this series of of you know opposing views being in the ring together. And yeah, it should be good. How are you doing? I heard you got some snow. <sighs> some snow is a misnomer. We had a uh, yeah a, a small blizzard. So it's been good. My brother came in from California and he was supposed to fly out last Monday and his flights got canceled three times. So we've had eight people in a house stuck together and it's been nice. It's been great. <laughs> <laughs> so no, we've had a good time. It's been good. It's been a different week, but it's been good, man. Yeah. So, so if excited if about your brother Jeremy uh but burst through the door behind you uh instead of one of your kids. Yeah, it's um, it's to be expected. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm super excited about today's episode. So if if you didn't know, if you didn't listen to the first episode, uh, it probably helped just in terms of context to go back and listen to episode one. But what we're doing is we are taking two opposing sides of a theological 
issue, in this case, Calvinism versus Arminianism. And we are interviewing people that hold to those sides of the argument, or at least can speak about those sides of the argument. And and we're asking questions and um, allowing our viewers or our listeners rather to come up with a conclusion of which one is the most biblical. So last time we talked to Pastor Mike Lee about our, our uh, Calvinism, or as he would prefer to call it, reform theology. That's kind of the word he preferred. And today we have a very special guest, and that is Dr. David Young. And he is a senior pastor, author, speaker, television host, former teacher, visiting professor. He has a PhD from Vanderbilt University. And also, David, I don't know if you know this or not, we reviewed your book, A Grand Illusion, on our podcast a little while ago. I did uh, not know that. Good for yes, you. Yes, sir. We, we, we thought about booking you, but we were like, man, I don't think he'd want to get up at 5 a.m. to be on a podcast with a bunch of two young whippersnappers. So, um, But here you are in the flesh. Yes, lots of yeah. flesh. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, just introduce yourself for us? Uh, so, well, you already did it, um, but oh. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, grew up here in this area, Middle Tennessee, outside of Nashville, in Nashville, outside of Nashville, and uh, been in ministry for uh, and since I was like a teenager, so forty years or so, and um, love the church, love the Lord, love my church especially. Been at this one congregation two different times for a total of twenty-five years. Praise God. Married, my kids are grown. Josh, you've been very kind to my son, who's planting a church in the yeah. Northwest. And um, so I have a great God. Happy to be up. We got plenty of snow here, too. There you go. <laughs> awesome, what else can awesome. I say? Yeah. Well, I, I really enjoyed uh, getting a chance to chat with your son, who's in uh, uh, Oregon. That was really, really cool, just the work he's doing there. So you, you did something right, raising him right. So um, They were thrilled. So they called me right after they talked with you. Actually, they called before they talked with you, and then they called me after they talked with you. And I said, I need to tell them thank you for that. And they said, no, don't tell them today because that'll make us sound too excited. <laughs> I said, well, you are excited. And they said, yeah, but we don't want to look too excited. And I said, no, you should. So, anyway. no, that was awesome. They're doing a really cool work there. Really cool work. So. So, David, on, on, when we talk about this issue, Calvinism versus Arminianism, and, and you had a pretty funny text. You talked to me uh, about the Armenian uh, mistreatment and Armenian geno- genocide in the early 90s, thinking that, you know, uh, yeah. What, what, what side of this uh, issue would you find yourself leaning more towards? Would you consider yourself more Calvinist-leaning or more Arminian-leaning? More Arminian, although... Um... Although I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to Calvinism, I think I, I understand what's going on with Calvinism. I understand the why, um, but but I am Arminian. Okay. So at what point in your Christian life did you find yourself kind of leaning more towards this view? So my fellowship, the Stone Campbell Fellowship, really sort of declared itself un-Calvinistic in the early part of the 19th century, 1830s and 1840s, maybe even earlier than that. And so we grew up. Uh, drinking the milk of Arminianism. We didn't know that we were Arminian, but we knew we weren't Calvinist. Mm. Gotcha. So what was the, what was the perception of Calvinism that was given to you guys? Were, were you taught like the full picture of it, or do you feel like it was maybe a distortion of what Calvinism actually teaches? Um, you know, 
I probably in I probably absorbed it as a child in a distorted way. I'm not sure it was taught in a distorted way, but you know, the real rub for us was that we in our earliest days in our fellowship, so 184 from 1800 to say 1820. And we you were, weren't around for those days, just to clarify. I had not yet. I was, <laughs> I was really close. So, um, okay. The but, but we were sort of a revivalist church, born okay. in these great awakenings. In fact, um, the the church where I uh, work right now is an offshoot of of the actual work of the Cambridge revival. Hmm. And so the revivals were really contrary to the work of Calvin, because the whole premise of the revival is. You preach this message, you stir up people's hearts, and they they have the right and the the um, ability to respond to it. Right. And you know, if you're a Calvinist, um, that's a real problem. And okay. so w- we actually had to battle the Calvinists. Our movement did, and right. so you know, we really did become sort of uh, opponents to one another. And we knew that. I knew that growing up. Right. 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 So in, in what ways, in what impact has your theological understanding of this issue, what, what has that had kind of on your walk with Jesus and your relationship with God? How would you say that your understanding of these things has really impacted your uh, relationship with, with the Lord? Well, I think Arminianism is true. And so, and I do think truth matters. I believe there is such a thing as truth. I think it's um, you know, at least partially accessible to us. Uh, maybe someday it's fully accessible. But so, so just if 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 truth matters, then wherever you find it, it's going to matter. It's going to have an effect on your life. But I think what the so the big difference for for sort of my Christian walk is that Arminianism reminds me of two things. It reminds me first of all that that I have a say in my salvation. And so I have to take it responsibly. I have to be serious about it. And then uh, when it's rightly understood, Arminianism really underscores the grace of God. And this is one area where Arminius was really strong. It was preaching on the grace of God, that the grace of God heals us. And it gives us the, it heals our broken will so that we can make the right choice. And, um, you know, the uh, sort of a, if you characterize Calvinism, it can feel really, really graceless. Although that's not what Calvinists, pure Calvinism is not graceless, but it feels that way. Sure, Arminianism sure. feels so full of grace. Yeah, so that's an interesting distinctive. So when when you when you say that Calvinism maybe feels graceless, is that the whole, uh, you know, some are elected to hell, whether or not they yes. have a say in it or not? Yes, and uh, in in the English sort of the English variety, which came to the U.S. Uh, you know, the colonies as Puritanism, it had a really, really harsh edge to it. And again, I'm not suggesting that's inherent to Calvinism. Sure. Because I, I would actually, one, I, I have a lot of things that I would like to praise about Calvinism. But um, but what I can say is that oftentimes it has led, at least historically, to sort of a coldness and um, uh, a hierarchical view of, of, of communities and societies where you know, the, the saved you'll know they're saved because they're the wealthy people and the poor people, you'll know that they're not saved because look at how unblessed they are. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that really does kind of oftentimes lead to um, a coldness, I think, although sure. I'm not suggesting Calvin wanted that and a good Calvinist wouldn't believe that. Right, 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 right. Just kind of, that's the practical outcropping. It of that, has come out that way quite a yeah. bit. Yeah, it sure has. Sure. Okay. Um, well, talk us through Jacobus Arminius, this, this, uh, 
this dude that, that has a, a strange last name and strange first name. I had to look up how to say his first name because I want to call him Jacobus. But I yeah. realized that my Georgia would probably be showing if I called him Jacobus. So, <laughs> well, even Arminius is his, he's Latinized his name. His he's a he was a Dutch theologian. Uh, his last name is Hermann Zoom in uh, oh wow okay. in Dutch, which is a, a form of German. And uh, but because he wrote in Latin and Latin was sort of the language of theology in the day, he he Latinized everything to to Jacob or Jacob we would say. He uh, died in. 1609, two years before the King James came out, by the way, hmm. and uh, started out as a pastor uh, and eventually became a professor of theology. He actually studied under uh, some of Calvin's finest theologians. He, he was born just, be- I think, just before Calvin died. I don't know what year Calvin died, 1564 or something like that. And Arminius was probably born, uh, he was born in 1960, so uh, 1560, excuse me. So he he drank deeply from Calvinism, which was uh, pretty popular in Europe at that point. And Calvinism was a really, really um, strong alternative to the Christian to uh, the Roman Catholic faith. And, and that mattered politically. It mattered theologically, but also mattered politically. You have to remember that the church and state weren't distinct uh, or they weren't separate, at least in most of Europe in uh, these days in the 16th century. And so, um, you know, if your if your if your church was Calvinist, your state was Calvinist, and therefore they were the arch enemies of the next state that was um, Catholic. And so these had these these theologies had huge implications. People went to war over them, and uh, there was a lot of bloodshed over them, persecution, and so forth. So Arminius grew up in a Calvinist country, but he grew up in the Amsterdam area, and Amsterdam has always been. Uh, it's sort of been one of the free cities that still has that legacy in, in some corrupt ways now, but because there was so much shipping going in and out, it just developed a cosmopolitan view. And so it, there was a free spirit there and it enabled him to begin to question what he had been taught in Calvinism. And at first his questions were in the house of Calvinism. And then eventually he stepped out of Calvinism. And uh, shortly after his death, his followers got together and they, they put together the theology, sort of theological framework, a set of confessions that summarize what he believed. And um, Arminianism caught the, the heart of John Wesley, and Wesley brought it to the U.S. Hmm. And so, at, at, I don't know if you know this, but at one point, uh, one out of every three European Americans, I, I mean, white Americans in the U.S., one out of every three Americans was a Methodist. That's wow. how that's how big the Methodist Church became in the U.S. Right. And wow. so, it, you know, that's that's at least a third of America Armenian just because of John Wesley. Sure, sure. So yeah. his his influence is still felt today through uh, churches that could probably trace their roots back to a Wesleyan origin. Very many churches can. Yes, absolutely. So all of those Stone Campbell churches, which is mm-hmm. my heritage, but. Uh, Nazarene churches, but the whole charismatic movement, uh, it was all born out of Methodism. So virtually every Pentecostal church, I I can't imagine a a Calvinist Pentecostal church. Maybe there is one, but I can't imagine it. Uh, Even the Baptist churches, which are now starting to tend towards um, Calvinism for a long time, you know, grew up under Wesley's influence, which is an odd, it's an odd thing. The Baptist church is an odd thing. I love the Baptist church. I think the SBC one of the greatest things America has right now. So that's not an anti-Baptist statement, but it's a it's an odd marriage between 
uh, Arminianism and uh, Calvinism, the Baptist yeah. Church. Isn't that weird? Yeah, we yeah. had we had Mike Lee on last episode, and he was talking about how he grew up in the Southern Baptist movement. He said the two things you could not be as a Southern Baptist was Calvinist and charismatic. Mm-hmm. And now <laughs> it seems like there are more Baptists that are identifying as both. So That's right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, Gabe, do you have any uh, any questions at this point? Any any insights to, to add to that or anything to ask David at this point? Yeah, I guess. So we're, we went over the five points of Calvinism in our last episode, and we used the, the acronym TULIP. Mm-hmm. And I was just going to ask, which of those five points do you take the biggest issue with? And which of those five points do you think is the most biblical? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, so you've got, uh, yeah, do you get the, the TULIP acronym? Um, unconditional election. Yeah, you've got. I mean, let me pull it up here so I don't so I don't completely uh, botch I'll, it. And Josh, you maybe know from memory, but you've got total depravity that man is dead in their sin. Um, then you've got unconditional election that God chooses to give some people eternal life without looking for anything good in them as a condition. Um, you've got uh, limited atonement. Um, so, so in other words, Christ, Christ, his death paid for the sins of. Uh, the elect, but it's limited in its scope and reach of atonement. Then you've got irresistible grace, that God's grace to save a person cannot be resisted. And then the final one is, the final point is the P, the preservation of the saints, that God preserves his people so they can never be lost. So I guess, um, which of those do you think, like I said, is the most unbiblical and which one is the most biblical? Well, so let's talk about Calvinism for just a second. First thing to say about Calvinism is that it's um, it's much bigger than Tulip, as you guys know. Um, and if, before I answer that, can I just give just a real quick statement about Calvinism? Absolutely. Let me say this. Uh, Calvinism formed the Western world. There's mm-hmm. so much about Calvin, about Calvin's work, about Calvinism, uh, to which we owe a debt. A guy like I owe a great debt. Calvin taught us how to read the Bible. Even even Arminians today read the Bible the way Calvin taught us to. Mm. He ta- Calvin really sort of solidified the, the concept that there are 66 and only 66 books in the Bible. Um, you know, the Roman Catholic Church has a different canon. And even Luther was kind of bouncing back and forth. But Calvin's one said, no, 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 66. And here's how you read them. Calvin, uh, if, so if you go to Geneva, there's a, rest- a, a Reformation wall in Geneva. It's a, a, a great, really nice area to reflect on it and just look at some of the great figures of um, the Calvinist movement. And you just begin to realize, oh, my goodness. So the UK, when England became uh, separate from the Roman Catholic Church, they adopted Calvinist theology, but they kept the Roman Catholic liturgy. So virtually all of England was Calvinist. The Scottish Hmm. Reformation, uh, so John Knox and others in the 16th and 17th centuries, it was all Calvinist. When they came to the U.S., to start what we call the United States of America, it was Calvinism that came. You know, all the, the Ivy League schools were Calvinist schools. They were set up by Calvinists. Um, <clears> they, the Puritan movement would have been Calvinist. Puritan movement was fully yeah. Calvinist. Yeah, in fact, mm-hmm. it was um, it was a little ra- more radical even uh, in mm-hmm. its Calvinism. It's, a lot of our concepts of how to run a state, what justice looks like, um, our, our view of um, you know how to approach God and so forth. It's been so thoroughly shaped by Calvinism that before I would make a critique, I would just want to say, without Calvin, I'm not sure I would even know what it means to be a Christian. So, mm. and the sad. So I, I went to Geneva. I've been to Geneva um, a couple of times, but I went one time because I wanted to do all the Calvin stuff. 
And I went to his church, which is still there in Geneva. And when you walk in, the first thing you notice is the pulpit's on the main floor. And I, don't, I never thought of this until I did it. It was Calvin who took the pulpit. So if, in a Roman Catholic church, if you remember the pulpit's on the side, it's usually on the left side. The mm-hmm. altar is in the middle. So for the Roman Catholic, it's the it's the communion or the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. And that's the center because it's the liturgy that matters. It's a real big statement in how the just the architecture. Calvin said, no, the word of God is what matters. He, he, he pulled that pulpit down. He put it right in the middle. And he said, the word of God is going to be what we stand on here. And he moved the Eucharist to the side. Well, that's we don't even notice that he did that. We've now been so thoroughly immersed in what he did. And I think he I think it was the right thing. What he did was he said, the word of God is going to be king here. Hmm. And so now every church you go to, the pulpit's right in the middle. And it's a statement that we made. So I, I'm just making that observation because mm-hmm. I am going to offer some critiques, but I don't want to come across as ungenerous to a man I also consider my spiritual father. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Thank you for the, the crash course on the history. I, I didn't realize the prolific influence of Calvinism in our, in our history as a nation. It's, oh, my it's goodness. Really yeah, I mean, it really is. A, it became a worldview. And now it's sort of like an in-house argument that we have. Arminianism and Calvinism is an in-house argument that you couldn't have if you didn't have Calvinism. <laughs> um, so, so uh, yeah, he, he, uh, very important. But by the way, when I was there, this is sad. I, I was at the his church and I was talking to some of the le- leaders there. Nobody knew where his grave was. It's really fascinating. Mm. I spent half a day trying to find Calvin's grave in Geneva. Now, Geneva is defined by John Calvin, and right. nobody knew where his grave was. And so I started wandering from grave to grave in the old city, and I finally found his grave, and it's just sitting there all by itself, no special markings or nothing. And there's John Calvin's grave, and nobody even wow. nobody there even cares. It's so sad. <laughs> it's like, oh, my goodness, the whole Western world's built on, you know, in part on his teachings, and nobody even knew where his grave was. Wow. I know where it is now. If you want to know, I'll tell you. <laughs> if you're ever in very, Geneva. Uh, very uh, uh, indistinct grave. Just, uh, I mean, it's there. It's a normal looking head, uh, headstone. No special anything. It's just in a row of graves. Wow. So That's cool. <laughs> Number two. Uh, uh, um, the, um, uh, the election issue. Mm. The unconditional election. That's the problem. All the other, all, all the, all, all five stand or fall on that one. Um, hmm. So Arminius believed in total depravity. I do too, by the way. That's not the problem with Calvinism. The problem with Calvinism is that God only chose to elect some people, and um, it is from that that second position, that second statement, that all the other statements stand. In fact. I will say this about Calvinism. It's, it is perfectly logical and that it's a, it's a complete and logical system. <clears throat> I just think it's wrong. You can be logical and still be wrong. Sure. Um, and so the logic is airtight. And that, by the way, if I, if I, if I do offer a critique of the Baptist churches, which again, I love the brothers and sisters, we're going to all enjoy heaven together. They're going to get there before I do. But <laughs> my critique of the Baptist system is that they picked a couple of Calvin's five points and not all of them, and you can't do that. It, they all stand or fall together. Um, mm-hmm. That that it's a logical system that only works if they're all there. You can't. So you can't have, for example, perseverance of the saints if you didn't have irresistible grace. Mm-hmm. You can't. You, like it. It's not. It's not logical to have to say I can pick my salvation, but I can't unpick it. 
Right. So the whole three point Calvinism you're saying is kind of a misnumber that they're kind of just false. Yeah. I don't think it works. Uh -uh. No. Interesting. So, but here's the deal. So if you have, um, if you have this um, unconditional election, what it implies is God has picked you regardless of anything you would do. You can't stop him from picking you and you can't provoke him to pick you. You can't pick him picking you. You can't do anything about it. Once you say that, once you say that God has unconditionally selected Jim, then everything else in Calvinism has to happen. That is, Hmm. now at this point, the atonement only has to be for him. It can't be for anybody else because that's who God picked. The grace has to be irresistible because he didn't have any say in it. He never had a say in it. And so he can't say no to it. He, He couldn't say yes to it. He didn't say anything to it. And then he can't lose his faith because he didn't pick his faith. It was all the act of God. So it's mm-hmm. that concept that only only some are elected that I think is the linchpin of Calvinism. And I just it's not biblical. It, it It's in conflict with the idea of free will. And, and even when you so this is I think what, what many American Calvinists have done is they've tried to make free will and Calvinism compatible. Mm-hmm. And, and I get I get how they do it. But at the end of the day, sometimes, and Arminians do this as well, but sometimes the, the linguistic gymnastics are so complicated that you you want to say, you know, I think you're really just an Arminian who likes Calvinist language. Um, and <laughs> yeah. when, you, when you get down to it, Calvinism is, uh, is really, really an awkward fit for America, for the American mindset. Sure. The American mindset is that we're self-made people. Uh, we have a destiny that we get to pick that, you know, people are in control of their lives and that sort of thing. And Calvinism really runs uh, right into the face of that. And so it's really hard for Americans to be Calvinists. Even even Calvinists have a hard time being Calvinists. So you think what some people would say, hey, I'm a Calvinist. You would say, well, not really. You you prefer kind of some of the Calvinist ideas and some of the Calvinist thought and the sentiment. But when you get right down to it, the full structure of it, buying a hook, line and sinker is a hard sell for for a lot of folks. It is. Yeah. And and again, so anything I say is not intended to be mean spirited. But sure. So sure. if you talk to a just an average Calvinist, um, they'll say who, who will say, yes, I'm a five point Calvinist. And you say, OK, what about this guy who professed salvation, lived a great life and then ran off and you know abandoned it all? And their answer is, well, he was never really saved anyway. And so my answer is, well, you know, that's actually Arminianism. That's just that's just Calvinism using Arminian. I mean, it's Arminianism using Calvinist language. Mm-hmm. That at the end of the day, you and I have ended up at the exact same place, which is he had all the salvation experiences I had, and then he lost it. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so there's a if you watch it, in some ways, Calvinism and Arminianism in the U.S. are all they they say very different things and they always end up at the same place they end up at the same place which is you can still lose your faith they just say you never had it right we say right. you had it and lost it right. you still do evangelism so Calvinist churches still do evangelism and missions and so forth why well they would say because you never know who God might have called well that's Arminianism that's really good Arminianism uh, <laughs> in the earlier days of Calvinism you know evangelism really was often opposed by Calvinist churches who said wow. you, you don't do evangelism because you don't take the gospel to some guy that God has already damned. Mm-hmm. That, uh, so, you know, the early, the early European missions, it's a really famous story. Uh, I'm trying to remember which one it is. Uh, 
uh, may have been Judson. I don't remember which one it was. He had a gets up, says to his church, he's getting ready to go to the language back then was to the heathen. And I don't know if it was Africa or Asia or wherever it was. And his church told him to sit down when God wanted to save the heathen, God would do it. He didn't need him to do it. And that's a Calvinist speaking. You know, Calvinism, God's going to save him. That, you don't have any part in this. We wow. humans have no part in this. So so missions and evangelism are irrelevant. It's a waste of time. You have no part in it. If God chose the guy, God will save him. You can't make it happen, and you can't stop it from happening. So sit down and go back to work. Um, so that's really inherent in Calvinism. But again, wow. that does not play in North America. Sure. So, so sure. Calvinists, Calvinists have sort of adopted an Arminian mindset, but they still keep the Calvinist language. Which means, wow. again, in my view, and I may be wrong, I've been wrong a lot. In my view, the two aren't near as different anymore as they once were. Sure. That we all tend to end up in the same place. So honestly, it's when people get in these disagreements about it, it's honestly more of, okay, we're getting to the same place. The same outcome is happening. Practically speaking, we're living this out in, in really the kind of similar ways, but how we're viewing how that actually happens, the process through that we have different understandings of how that actually. I believe that. But now a pure Calvinist pastor or theologian would have a heart attack to hear me say that. (laughs) But the average Calvinist, the average reform guy who goes to, so goes, so there's a, 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 at least one Baptist church here in Murfreesboro that's kind of pretty gone full Calvinist. Right. The pastor there would say, absolutely not. Young's wrong. But the average member will say everything an Arminian would say. Sure. And they live like an Arminian. Right. Wow. So from what I'm understanding, the five points of Calvinism were formed after Calvin died as a response to five points that Arminius came up with to basically say, here's kind of the issues that we see with Calvinism. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Calvin had his points, but they weren't arranged, as we know, into the tulip. Sure. Until after his death. Sure. So, so when uh, this was the, I hope I'm saying this right again. My Georgia may be showing the Synod of Dort. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So it was essentially a council that was called. That's right. To kind of flesh these things out. And the Arminius viewpoint was these five points, and I have them kind of on our show notes. Um, do we want to walk through some of these and just kind of. Speak about how these kind of stand in contrast to the, the Calvinists. The first one would be free will. Um, so, kind of, where do we see that in Scripture, and what did Arminius mean when he talked about we have free will, and how that how that's different from kind of the Calvinist viewpoint in that? Yeah. Um, so, by free will, what Arminius means is that we we do have the capacity to make a choice between good and evil. We have that capacity. Hmm. Now, total depravity says that every part of you is depraved, including your will. So for a a Calvinist might say you have free will. Again, this is, it depends on what level of Calvinist you are, but what they would say is you have free will, but you will only choose between one bad thing or the other bad thing. You'll never Mm -hmm. choose a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what, uh, what Arminius says is, okay, every part of you is depraved, but, with with the assistance of God's grace, you can actually make a good choice. You can make you can make good choices. Uh, you can choose faith, for example. You can choose uh, a good thing. You can choose to do a good thing. One of the things that Luther had said uh, in his ministry is, "All my works are but filthy rags." You know, that's a 
a lot of us in ministry resonate with that. It's like, man, you know, there are points where I look on my life and think, you know, I'm a real sinner. I've never gotten to where I wanted to be. I've never gotten to what I preach. But there's a there's a real kind of a um, there's a risk to that kind of language, because that language suggests that, for example, stopping to help somebody who's in deep trouble is still evil. At the end of the day, you were evil for that mm. and you did it for evil reasons and so forth. And, and Calvinism really backs you into that corner that even when you do a good thing, it's still you choose an evil. And mm. so Arminius just says, there's just first of all, there's no way that can be true. Observation tells me that's not true. And second, that flies in the face of every verse of Scripture. Every single verse presumes that every verse of the Bible presumes that you have the capacity to choose what's right. Hmm. Now, it doesn't say you have always chosen what's right, but you have the capacity to choose what's right. It's in every verse of the Bible. So every time God gives a command, you know, all the way back to Genesis 1, the presumption is you have the capacity to choose to obey it. Hmm. And um, so uh, Arminius did believe that that we were depraved in a sense. That he, he believed in fallen nature, which I do too, of course. But he, he did not believe that that nullified your ability to make a decent choice. So uh, scriptures, I mean, uh, you know, there's a sense in which I would say I've, I've written down scriptures on, on the idea of free will, but there's a sense in which you might even just say, well, which verse doesn't presume that? Which command of God, which command does God give that he says, I'm going to give you this command, even though you're not at all in any way capable of obeying it. And I'm going to give you, you know, 18,000 of them, but you can't obey a single one of them, but I'm going to do it anyway. It, huh. th- it's a... There's a presumption behind every command of Scripture that you have the capacity to obey it. Right. So that's where Arminius starts. And I I do want to say that's classic Christianity. So though the Roman Catholic Church is not Arminian because Arminius wasn't Catholic, Arminian theology is consistent with the great Christian tradition all the way back. So, you know, the church fathers, occasionally you'll see a quote from Augustine that makes him sound Calvinist. He was not Calvinist. Augustine believed in free will. Right. I believe that we have the capacity to choose to do what's good. You know, um, in fact, Augustine was in some ways, uh, he was more, he was, he makes me uncomfortable. Sometimes he seems so Arminian. So, you know, Augustine, Augustine said, you won't even know you're saved until you're ra- raised from the dead. Because wow. for all you know, you may still fall away. Wow. Um, you, you're on this journey. Sure. And, sure. um, so that was in no way is that Calvinist. Yeah. So, so the it, whole the whole theme, the thread through the scriptures is choose you this day whom you will serve. Yeah. You know, I've said before your life and death, all that stuff. And and to be Calvinist, you have to say it doesn't mean what it says. Every time you read that, you have to say, well, that, you can't actually choose. He didn't right. mean he just he just was going to demonstrate that you can't choose by putting it in front of you. Right. And at some point that just that becomes so disingenuous. That, like, right. I mean, yeah. how, can, how can over and over and over again, God says, I want you to do this, but the whole time knowing there's no way you can, and I'm going to damn you because you can't. Hmm. It just runs so contrary. So, but here are some texts of first Timothy two and verse four, God desires all men to be saved. Hmm. That So God expects that we have some capacity to respond to this. Um, God pleads with sinners to repent. Think of how many times God says to sinners, you know, repent in Scripture. So when Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2, he ends the sermon, repent and be baptized. Uh, the assumption is you got you have a say in this matter. You can pick right. repentance. Right. Jesus has said this in Luke 13, you know, if you don't repent, you're going to perish. 
And it's, it's a presumption that you have the, you have some capacity to repent. And again, Calvinism says you have zero capacity to do this. It's it, You never had it. You never will have it. Nobody has it, not the saved, not the lost. It was never given to humans. And so it, it just starts to stand the whole Bible on its head, Calvinism mm-hmm. does. So sure. I've said this, and again, I started out with, Lots of nice things, so so I can say this without. <laughs> hey, we're we're in the I'm ring right now. You you give <laughs> us a hey, give us your haymaker. Let's do it. So, if you did, if you didn't hunt, have John Calvin, so again, this is somebody's going to argue with me on this one. This is okay. I would argue with myself <laughs> too. You would never read the Bible and come out Calvinist. So mm-hmm. so you know we're planting churches now in the global south. Our congregation is and. Um, and we go in, and what we do is we do a discovery Bible study. And Josh, I think you know what that is. Yeah, uh, yeah. You may too, Gabe. But, um, so these guys sit down, they read scripture, they obey. The next day they read scripture, they obey. And we've planted 150 churches in, just in the last few years doing this. And, he, and we don't teach them. Honestly, all we do is say, read the Bible, ask these questions, and obey. That's what we teach them. Nobody, nobody comes out Calvinist. Because it's such an unnatural way to read the Bible. None of them reads the Bible and says, okay, it tells me to forgive my brother. I haven't done that. I'm going to go home and do that this afternoon. No way would say, well, it says forgive my brother, but I'm incapable of free will. So therefore, I know I can't obey this, so I'm not going to do it. No, like nobody would be Calvinist if Calvin hadn't told you to be Calvinist. Sure. It's not a natural way to read the Bible. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, that's a that's a very compelling uh thought through that. I have one just question on that and just, and and I'm just being, because I know I'm going to get an email uh, asking about this. So just, just hear me out on this. So when the scriptures talk about the law being the tutor and the law being the thing in the, in the new Testament, I'm trying to think of the address specifically, but it basically says um, the law exposes our inability to keep it. I'm trying to remember that the passage and Gabe, you may be able to help me out if you remember that one. So, Many Calvinist thinkers would say that that the scriptures kind of reveal that about itself in the sense that we're given the law, but it exposes our own sinfulness and inability, which is why we need God's grace. So what would you say to that? And I and I, I think I I'm one hundred percent with you in the sense that like, yeah, God presumes that we have the responsibility to obey when he gives us a command, but when someone would say, Well, no, no, no. It says this in the New Testament that the law of God was given to expose our sinfulness. What would you say in response to that? Oh, it's true. It does expose our sinfulness, but it doesn't expose an inability to make a good choice. Hmm. So, so, for example, as, as uh, um, you know, Paul, Paul makes the case that if you obey the whole law, but you fail at one point, you're still a lawbreaker. Sure. But his argument is there are what well, the rabbi says, 613 laws. His, he doesn't say you're incapable of choosing a single one of those 613 laws. And that's what the Old Testament was here for is just to show that you can't. Paul obeyed those 613 laws. Paul right, was right. a righteous man and he knew he was. And he knew that he was he knew he was obedient to the scripture. His argument isn't that the law can't be that not one single point of the law can be followed because you have no free will. His point was no one has perfectly kept all 613 laws. Right. And so therefore it exposes your inability to make continual good choices. And that's the rub. And this is where Arminianism, this is the danger of Arminianism. So uh, Arminianism can easily become, and I think in my fellowship, it it has at times Pelagianism, Mm. which is a heresy. So Pelagianism, 
So where Calvin said we're totally depraved, we can't even make a decent choice. You'll never make a good choice. Only God can do that. Arminianism says, well, you are depraved, but God gives you the he, he gives you the grace to enable your free will to make a good choice. Pelagianism goes one step further and says, well, you're not even depraved. Basically, you're a good person. And if you just try hard enough, you'll be a perfect guy. You can do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And so the early church, in fact, that was one of Augustine's biggest uh, sources of, of contention was with the Pelagians, who were British, by the way. And um, he, so his argument, he, he, he classified them as heretics. They were heretics. They still are heretics. But it's kind of easy to slip from Arminianism into Pelagianism, which is not only can I make a good choice, but doggone it. I'm a pretty good guy and people like me and I can make good choices. <laughs> that's, that's the danger of Arminianism. And sure. Calvinists should point that out. And, and if you don't think it, if you think that that doesn't ever happen, you're not paying attention because it's mm. happened in the churches of Christ. I think it's happened now in progressivism. Progressivism sure. starts with the assumption we're all basically good. We, we can make good choices. If we just have the right kind of social policies and whatnot, then we'll have our own utopia. That's a heresy. So you're saying, David, uh, Pelagianism, just for those who don't understand, it's a heretical Christian theological position that holds that the original sin did not taint human nature and that humans have free will to achieve human perfection without divine grace. And so what what you're saying is there's kind of a danger between, you know, if we look at our theology as like a pendulum swinging, sometimes we can go too far over if on the Arminian side into... Pelagianism, which says, well, we can do this on our own, kind of almost like a humanist mindset. Yes, it can easily become humanist. It isn't for progressives. Now, in my tradition, the Acapella Church of Christ, in my tradition, it wasn't humanism. It was um, works righteousness. uh, Let me say this. I love my tradition. And so, so many were not like this. But there was a there was a strand, a very strong strand in my fellowship for a long time that you really it wasn't, it wasn't optimistic. It was, it was legalistic, but it was this sense of if you're good enough, God's got to save you. He didn't have a choice because you're, mm-hmm. you're so good. Right. So I did a funeral for a woman. Uh, it's been several years ago. She was 80 something, 87 or something when she died. And she was like, I think she actually was, I don't think she'd ever committed a sin. She might be one of the only people <laughs> I've known that's never committed. But not long before she died, I went and talked to her and she was sobbing and said, I, I just know I'm not going to make it to heaven. I know I haven't been good enough. And it's like, okay, there you go. That's the danger of Arminianism mm-hmm. is that we had taught her you, you that your salvation is based on the right amount of good choices and you didn't make enough. Mm-hmm. So that is a danger that, that has to, that, and Arminius didn't teach that, but it's real easy to slip into that. Sure, sure, mm-hmm. sure. So that's the whole human ability, free will, and understanding of that. And I think that that makes a lot yeah. of sense. So the second would be conditional election, whereas Calvin taught unconditional election. You don't have a say in it. God just, you know, duck, duck, damn, right? Some people are, you know, hey, you're going to hell. Sorry, buddy. And then others, you know, you're getting saved. You didn't have anything to do with it. Or many thought something different. Listen, it's worse than that, Josh, because Calvin doesn't just (laughs) argue that some people are destined for hell. He argues that God created some people so he could send them to hell. Mm. It's, It's really even more like I said, it's very un-American. It's really hard for an right. American to get their mind around that, that God literally designed your sweet little baby that you have nurtured and breastfed and all that kind of stuff. He only made that baby so it could roast it in hell. That that's, wow. That is Calvinism. And so that's why, again, I say I don't know how many real Calvinists there are in America that, that 
the pastors might be, the theologians, but the average Calvinist just says, no way, no way I can believe that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, but, but yes, yeah, so here's, here's what's, here's the operative concept for Arminius. He truly took foreknowledge seriously. Mm-hmm. And this is where predestination is a biblical doctrine. Sure. We are predestined. But in Romans chapter 8, predestination follows foreknowledge. So here's what Arminius says. He's, and by the way, I would say this too. God is able to look down and say, okay, I, I can see that Josh is going to accept my message. He's going to accept my grace. When I offer him the, the prevenient grace, the healing grace to make a good choice, Josh is going to use it. And so I'm going to appoint a place for Josh. I'm going to predestine a place for him. But it was still premised on the condition, so it's conditional, on the condition that you accepted God's prevenient grace, God's offer to you. And um, and again, I think most Americans are functional Arminians, that mm-hmm. we still believe that. Even if we're Calvinists, we still believe, well, he, okay, he accepted it and in some mysterious way. We can't just, we just can't bring ourselves to believe, even a Calvinist, that you had no say in it. Right. So, yeah, so that's what Arminius argued. So essentially, in Arminius thought, God looks down the quarter of time. Yes. He sees those that when he makes his prevenient grace accessible, they receive that message. And, and then Arminius would say, OK, so that is election. That is foreknowledge. That is that's right. Right. That's right. Yeah. And it's it's unavoidable if God is who <clears> he is. I mean, God, you know, if God is who he is, God already knows what choice you're going to make. He knew it before he made you. And so if God is who he is, God's foreknowledge is um, uh, it's unavoidable. God would know this. Sure. And a Calvinist would basically say, no, God just, he doesn't, it, it's irrespective of anything we do. It's irrespective we, of anything we do, but a Calvinist obviously believes in foreknowledge and and, right. and does believe. So a Calvinist will say, well, yeah, he, for, he foreknew, but he, he also, he did nothing to enable the lost. Mm-hmm. Again, in Calvinism, the double predestination of Calvinism is not only did God choose to save, you know, Fred, but God did nothing to help Sam. You know, God only created Sam so he could have somebody in hell. And so therefore God, God's never going to help Sam. <laughs> He's right. not going to help Sam. Right, right, and right, now, right. again, let me be fair to Calvinists. What they would say is, you know, and, and Sam doesn't want help. You know, mm. Sam, Sam is so engrossed in his sin. He didn't want help anyway. Sure. That's how Calvinists would respond, I think. Yeah. So the proof text for that be Romans 8, for whom he did foreknow, he did also predestine to be conformed. Really important order there, yeah. Yeah. It's a very important order. That predestination was premised on foreknowledge. Yeah. And it's a big, big deal. The two big deals for Arminianism in the in their version of a tulip, which is not a tulip, but uh, is that predestination is premised on foreknowledge, A, and B, the concept of prevenient grace, which is you were depraved. But God gave you enough grace to heal your willpower so that you could make a good choice. Right. Now, now the burden's on you. He gave it. it so, you know, it, it, uh, if you think of it physically, it's as though, you know, you, you had a broken leg and a doctor came in and set the leg and said, now it's up to you whether you break that leg again, whether you whether you wear a cast. I can't make you wear a cast, but I've offered mm-hmm. it to you. Sure. So this is the idea of prevenient grace that you really you really were broken. God in his prevenient, which means to come out beforehand, before you could make a choice, God gave you some grace to enable you to make a good choice. But now it's up to you to do it. Yeah. And if that sounds familiar, it's because every single church in America thinks that, except very few Calvinists. Right. I'm not trying to be mean. It comes across as mean. But even, no, no, Calvinist, church, even Calvinist churches, offer they extend altar calls. 
right? right. Which, which just shows that like we're kind of all Armenian now. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> practically speaking, it's more Armenian leaning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be conditional election. That would be in response to Calvinists' unconditional election, the U mm-hmm. in TULIP. And then the third, um, this is the issue that I kind of had with, you know, when we, we spoke about Calvinism and Reformed theology last time, limited atonement. I struggle with this one quite a bit, <laughs> as I'm sure you do as well. Uh, Arminius said something a bit different. So not limited atonement, but general atonement or universal redemption. Flesh that out for us. Yeah, so you have um, you have texts like First John chapter two and verse one, where Jesus is called. He's the sacrifice. He offers his atone his his offers himself as atonement for our sins. And John says, "And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world." Yep, Gabe, you uh, mentioned that last time. Then you have John three sixteen. You know, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes that so the atonement is offered to everyone. And uh, Arminius takes the, those words seriously. It, it appears many times in Scripture, some version of that, not, not, not exactly that phrase. And he just says, look, the atonement is a gift God has offered to every single human. The, the difference between those who get it and those who don't is who picked it when it was given to them in, in what he would call provenient grace. Calvin says, no, 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 it was never offered to the lost. Jesus's death, was it was never available I picked Sam's name for a second there. The guy named Sam. <laughs> Jesus died for Sam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sam, he had, Sam never had a choice in it. Sam was created so he could burn in hell. That was why God created Sam. And so Jesus didn't die for Sam and, and never did, never will. Hmm. And that's, Arminius says, he's aghast at that. And by right. the way, when I paint it with this kind of language, you know, probably a lot of your listeners are aghast. Sure. And, and see, so you probably ought to have a Calvinist listen to this and come back and say, oh, Young's being a hothead on this. <laughs> Maybe I am. But I am trying to paint the picture. This is sure. really what it means. Uh-huh. I mean, this, yeah. this is what Calvinism means. And uh, as logical as it is, it's, uh, again, for a lot of us, when we really dig down into it, it's a shocking thing to, to think, wait, what? It really means that? And the answer is yes, it does, actually. Uh, so this is what Arminius is pushing back against, that no, the, the blood of Jesus is available to anybody who's willing to make the decision. Interesting. Yeah. And, and Gabe, you brought up some of those scriptures last time when we talked to Mike. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's, that's probably one of the biggest hurdles for me with, with accepting reform or Calvinist. First mindset. Timothy two, four, God desires all people to be saved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. John twelve thirty two. Jesus said he would draw all humans to himself. And that the Holy Spirit would convict the world, John 16 and verse 8. Not just the elect, but the whole world. Um, all through the Old Testament, God makes it clear he does not want to ju- He does not want people lost. He, he's doing his best to call them in. Israel's a light of the nations, so all nations can come to him. Even, even towards the end of the prophetic works, even those people, people groups that were condemned back in the Torah, you know, the Philistines are going to be saved. Zechariah says there's going to be a a road made so the Assyrians, even the Assyrians can be saved. It's mm-hmm. it's sort of that great ingathering at the end where God says, look, I'm going to find a way to get to all nations. So it's a it's the depiction of a generous God who really yearns for all of his creatures mm-hmm. to come back to him. Um, and so, uh, yeah. Was there any was there any motivation in, in Calvin uh, latching on to this idea of limited atonement? I mean, what, what prompted that? It seems... Logic. I told you it's a super logical. It's a it's an incredibly logical system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, 
once you say, and this is where Calvin, this is where Calvin started, and this is, it's a really a, I mean, it's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing that Calvin started with. He started with the idea of the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. God is in charge. God is. God has power over everything, including our choices. Once you say that, once you say that God literally, uh, almost in a, um, a deterministic way, well, not almost, in a deterministic right, way, right, right, yeah. once you say that God has sovereignty over everything, including every choice, limited atonement is a place you have to end up. You, you, you have hmm. to end up there. You have to say, at some point, to be logical, you have to say, well, if God has sovereignty over every choice, how do I explain the fact that that guy's making a bad choice? Mm-hmm. And eventually you ha- you end up with Calvinism. And th- so it's inescapable once you start with Calvin's assumption. Yeah, I see. Um, and again, so that's why I say it's logical. If you pull two or three points out, the whole thing collapses. You can't have, like, I, I don't think you can reasonably, logically, I, I don't think you can biblically have perseverance of the saints if you don't first have limited atonement. Hmm. Right. Because it, it's it's irrational to think that I can pick Jesus, but I can't unpick him. Uh, you know, I picked him and I decided to follow him and then I turned into Adolf Hitler, but I'm still saved because you can't unpick him. You can only pick him. It's, it's, it's a weird, it's, it's, uh, it's a weird amalgam of, of Calvinism. and sure. That makes sense though, in terms of just the systematic, you follow the logic of the very first premise. The logic, you know, in terms yeah. Of sovereignty. Yeah. yeah. So the, the eye and tulip is what Calvin said, or not Calvin, Calvin's followers after he passed, when they summarized the doctrines of grace, basically said irresistible uh, grace. When the Holy Spirit has you in his sights, can't resist it, can't say no. Um, what would You have I mean, no free will. Right. You don't have free will. So once God has decided Sam is going to be saved, Sam can't say no. Remember, in, in Calvinism, God is sovereign. Sam doesn't have any say in this. God created Sam to go to heaven or whatever right. eschatology you have. Um, God created Sam to go to heaven. Sam doesn't get a choice. So right. he he can't resist it. He has no free will. Right. And so uh, and and again, this is what Arminius would argue. <clears throat> no, no, no. You do have free will. And uh, Arminius's problem is, well, if I have free will, can I just keep choosing the good and be good enough? Pelagianism. Mm-hmm. And so Arminius's solution to that is, well, no, you can't keep choosing the good unless the Holy Spirit enables you to choose the good. And that's the doctrine of prevenient grace, which is a really big doctrine for Arminians. It's the thing that that allows Arminians to escape the logic of our position. Right. Without without uh, prevenient grace, you know, we're pretty illogical too. We've got to have that. Otherwise, sure. we're not totally depraved and we end up Pelagian. Yeah. So the Holy Spirit is pursuing through prevenient grace. However, according to Arminius thought, that can be resisted. Yes. Someone can resist the spirit. Yes. Someone can resist the spirit's convictions. That that previous right. grace that's made available to humans, someone can say, yeah, I I sense that. I see that. I feel that. But no, thank you. And every sermon you preach, Josh, mm-hmm. is premised on that. You lay out a choice before your congregation, before your church. You lay out a choice and your assumption is, OK, they're going to pick. Right. Every sermon you preach, you're assuming they're going to pick. I've laid it out. Now sure. it's, it's up to them to pick. Sure. And that's Arminianism. And remember, in Calvinism, it's not like that. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you don't, you're not laying out a choice in Calvinism because right. nobody can pick in Calvinism. You don't have the, you don't have the willpower to pick in Calvinism. Hmm. 
Interesting. So, by the way, it makes wonderful theologians of Calvinists, though, because remember, you and I have to come up with really cool stories that convict the heart and make them sob and, you know, turn them into putty in our hands so that they'll respond to our invitation and our call and yeah. come crawling down the sawdust trail. Yeah. It's, a, it's always a poem for me. You know? That's what we have to do. A Calvinist, he can just sit and read all these you know, wonderful works in Latin and Greek and go up and give a speech. And he doesn't care if anybody responds or not. That's not his problem. That's God's problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. They really are, though, some of the best theologians. Sure. They've got a lot of time on their hands. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. When when I'm, I'm trying to put myself into, again, I'm thinking of some friends of mine that are going to be listening to this that would say I'm Calvinist through and through. So uh, what... When someone is saved, when someone is redeemed, when someone has been, um, this is Gracie, David, I don't know if you've met Gracie or not. She, she uh, sometimes sits in my lap while we podcast. So, hey, Gracie. Gracie, can you say good morning to everybody? Too early, too early in the morning for her to say hello. So, um, Once someone has been redeemed, once someone's spirit has been uh, sanctified, then would a Calvinist say then they have the ability to choose after that, or they still have no ability to just curious. I don't know if, what, what one would say to that. Cause I'm trying to think um, if someone would say, Hey, no, I'm on the other side of being born again. So I do have the moral ability to make a choice to follow Jesus. There are different forms of Calvinism. The, the most extreme form would say, uh, no, you never, you never get the ability to choose because if you had the ability to choose, you could, you could choose to leave Jesus and that, and you can't do that. So therefore, mm-hmm. you don't you don't have that. But I think in America, there are Calvinists who would say, no, once you've been redeemed, you know, once you've been atoned, your sins have been atoned for, then you you you're given a a level of um, free will. Your free will is healed, is gotcha. what some Calvinists would say. Gotcha. Which, by the way, it's not bad language. I like that language. Um, right. That your free will is healed. Uh, what I can tell you about that, and this is a problem for Calvinists and Arminians, it's a problem for me, is that. Uh, you know, my theology tells me that my free will has been healed. That's my theology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, but the way I eat tells me that it that it's still not healed. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and it's actually a serious issue. That is, sure. I'm still I, I, I have some anxiety. I don't know if it's a disorder. It may be, but some anxiety issues. Uh, I do I do tend to overeat. Um, and, and so I've got issues in my life that that run contrary to my own theology, which is, wait, I thought my will was healed. And yet. I can't seem to stop myself from doing things that I know are wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of us probably have to wrestle with that of, you know, our theology says somewhere down the road, I, I can beat these problems, but I'm 60 and I haven't. So mm-hmm. is that maybe Philippians two work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Is that, is that maybe, maybe our, our sanctification, I don't know if I can use that word is, is kind of a, kind of a work in progress and yes which is Arminian very Arminian to say yeah. that um but yes yeah, that's exactly what it is I just didn't think I'd have to wait till I was 87 before you know where, before I lived <laughs> a pretty good life because I was incapable of any other sins at that point yeah. um, but that's it's, it's shaping up that way it looks like <laughs> it looks like hey. I'm going to be 87 before I'm finally done with my sins only because at that point I won't be able to do anything <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I think what what found me, um, you know, I think four or five years in, in a member of a Presbyterian church um, under the leadership of a great pastor and teacher and, and great man of God is is like you said the logic aspect of Calvinism, 
um, it appealed to me, kind of the headiness of it. And I, I like, I like the show me, show me the facts, like take me through the trail of theologies of why I need redeeming or why, you know, and, and I like that aspect of, of just the, the worship atmosphere of your average reform theology church versus um, some of the more charismatic circles that are more, it, it feels more emotion driven, feels more mm-hmm. like we're going to whip you into a frenzy and that will then, or tell you, you know, a compelling story or mo- move you emotionally. And that, I think that that's because I was just made that way to where, you know, I appeal, uh, I, I'm attracted more to the, the, the rational side of things, like show me in history where this took place. And then, and then that will compel me. Um, but yeah, there, there's in, in the reform movement, there does seem to be in Calvinism, there seems to be more of a headiness, much more so, um, yeah. than, than in Armenian circles. But, you know, I think, I think everything and everything, like we said earlier, you, you, you must strike a good balance between the two. Um, cause if you go, you know, it's like spirit and, and, uh, and truth or law and grace. It's like, anytime you go too far to the right or left, I think you find yourself in some theological problems some some, some weeds, so to speak. Uh, but agree. yeah, that's that's well said. Let me ask you a really tough question, <laughs> and I meant to to his credit, I meant to ask. Um, was it Mike last week? I no. meant to ask him, and I totally forgot. So it's not like I'm singling you out and asking you this question, David. But in Galatians one six through eight, um, uh, Paul says, "I'm astonished that you are turning away so quickly from the one who called you by the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Not that there is a different gospel, except." There are some who are disturbing you and wanting to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or even an angel from heaven should proclaim a gospel to you contrary to what we proclaim to you, let him be accursed. Is five-point Calvinism a different gospel? I don't think it is, no. Um, uh, uh, Let me say this, by the way. The the different gospel Paul is dealing with there would Mm -hmm. be more Pelagian than Calvinist. Because in Galatians, what he's dealing with is a return to the idea that I can I can be righteous apart from Christ just by doing enough good things. Um, and, uh, and by the way, in, in chapter five, and verse four, he actually says, if you stick to this new gospel, you have. And, this, and I'm quoting here, fallen from grace, which is a real mm. problem for a Calvinist because you can't oh, yeah. fall from grace in Calvinism. But Paul literally mm. says this fake gospel will cause you. <clears throat> to fall out of grace. So the presumption is you once had it and now you've lost it. Mm. But but yeah, the problem that he's dealing with in Galatians is the problem of it's not really it's it's an it's uh, anachronistic to call it Pelagian because Pelagian mm. wasn't born until a couple of centuries down the road. Sure, sure. But it was the idea that uh, you know Jesus will help me be a good a, a good person, but I don't really need him. I I can be mm. pretty good on my own. And what I would the, what I would say the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism, in my opinion. <clears throat> is an in-house argument between brothers. Hmm. And um, they have implications, each of them does, that are good. Mm-hmm. And each of them also has some implications that can get really real, run off the rails. Arminianism, as I told you, I have, I grew up in a world where Arminianism oftentimes ran off the rails into Pelagianism, which is a true heresy. And But I've seen Calvinism historically, not in my lifetime, but historically run off the rails into a real harsh judgmentalism and an unwillingness to evangelize. Mm. Now, I hope a Calvinist who's listening to this will hear me say that I don't think that characterizes Calvinism in North America. I think these are just two brothers wrestling with the word of God, trying to come up with a good answer. 
Mm. And um, and what I have noticed is that uh, that we 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 use very different language, but oftentimes we still end up in the same place. Yeah. You know, we still do. Uh, Calvinists still evangelize. Arminians still believe in depravity and the sovereignty of God. In a lot of ways, our language is is further apart than the effects of our language. Sure. And I yeah. think it's interesting, too, that you would even say an Arminian believes in election. It's just a different understanding of it. <laughs> election based on foreknowledge. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was probably the biggest source of feedback I got. You know, just in person, someone said, I listened to your I listened to your episode. I listened to the podcast with um with mike lee you know the 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 um calvinist or believe in reformed theology um wow that was i didn't know all that about calvinism and the five points of calvinism would that fall under the category of galatians one and a different gospel and i was like well i don't know the answer to that right now but let me let me ask you know let me so i i I wish i had asked that of mike about arminianism but yeah, and I so, would, I would, I would, knowing Mike and Mike's probably listening to this podcast, so Mike, you can correct me in person. But knowing Mike, I would say he'd probably arrive at the same conclusion that David did. That no, it's not a different yeah. gospel; it's a different understanding of these issues among brothers trying to figure this thing out. So there's yeah. a generosity among American Calvinists that would say that I think, but but I do want to say that historically Calvinism, in some ways, is forced. They have to resist the temptation to say no, Arminianism is a heresy that that disqualifies you as a, a brother. I'll give mm-hmm. you an example. So we we spoke, there was a Calvinist church here in Murfreesboro and a couple of years ago, um, I called up the pastor and I said, hey, um, we, we, we would like for you to send a couple of families to our church. Don't tell us when they're coming or who they are. Let them come mm-hmm. to our church. And then we would like to hear them tell us what, mm-hmm. what they experienced. You know, so we're trying to evaluate ourselves. And I said, I'm willing to do the same for you guys. If you'd like that, I'll send some of my members over there. And his response to me was, I don't think I can do that because I, I couldn't ask my members to go to a church that's lost. <laughs> I, my first thought was, wait, I'm Church of Christ. I'm supposed to say that, not you. Oh, wow. I'm the only one saved here. Not, what do you think? Yeah, 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 yeah. You so, stole my line. Yeah. So there, there is an extreme, but there's extreme versions of everything, though. So I'm not, sure. I'm not picking on Calvinists. But there is a, in the logic of Calvinism, to be un-Calvinistic is a real problem. Um, right, right. Hmm. Well, let's look at this very last one. And I think for some folks, this is probably the the hard sell for Arminianism. And that is a falling from grace or a falling away, right? So Calvinists taught perseverance of the saints, that once you are saved, you can't lose your salvation. But Arminius said something just a little bit different. So what what was that and how did he kind of get there? Well, because because in Arminianism, you've chosen Jesus, even though your free will was dependent in that choice upon the prevenient grace of, of God, you still chose Jesus. And so in Arminianism, you can unchoose Jesus. Mm-hmm. And unchoosing Jesus in Arminianism, for me and for Arminius as well, doesn't mean you sinned. It means that you decided Jesus is no longer going to be your master. And mm-hmm. so, um, and that's actually a problem for Arminianism. We need to point that out, which is, it's real, you know, Arminians are all over the map on, um, what does it mean to say I, Jesus is no longer my master, my king, or my lord? You know, at what point did I actually unchoose Jesus? But Arminianism conceives of the possibility you can unchoose Jesus because you chose him. You, right. you freely chose him. You can now freely unchoose him. And therefore, a, a person can lose their just standing before God by abandoning Jesus. Now, good Arminians say that's a, you know, that. It doesn't happen that often. It's down the road. It doesn't mean you sinned and therefore you're lost again. 
uh, which by the way, like in my fellowship, there was a sense, I don't think anybody taught this exactly, but we, I grew up kind of thinking, okay, I'm saved. Then I sin, I'm lost. Then I say, I'm sorry, I'm saved again. Then I sin, I'm lost. Then right, I say, I'm right, sorry, right, I'm right, saved. Right, right, right. That's not Arminianism. That's just terrible theology. Um, wow. And but, I'm so glad you pointed out because I've had a lot of reformed friends that basically say that's what people who say you can lose your salvation, that's what they say, that it's that. That's what they say, and they internalize yeah. it. And so what ends sure. up happening is it's a, it is a terribly burdensome, discouraging way to be a Christian. Like, okay, man, if um, yeah, I remember hearing this as a real question growing up. If I'm going driving down the road, I have an accident, and my last word before I die is OF or something like that, OSH, you know. <laughs> I'm lost because I didn't get a chance to say I'm sorry before I died. And right, right, right. <laughs> that's terrible Arminianism. That's like, mm-hmm. but again, if I were Calvinist, I'd say, see, look, that's what you, that's the world you created. Um, right. Uh, so that's not what Arminius meant. He meant so, that you deliberately abandoned Jesus. So a conscious decision to say, I am turning my back on Jesus and the that's teachings right. of Jesus. I don't believe this anymore. That's right. Then you have the free will to do that. It's, that's right. You do. And again, right. where that point lies has been a subject of discussion by Arminians for four centuries. Wow. Hmm. Well, David, this has been very, very, very informative and, and man, very, very helpful, very good to just look at these and kind of get a man again my head's swimming because there's so much to process this is a lot um but thank you so much for uh helping us walk through these things and thank you for being willing to get up with us at uh 5 a.m and <laughs> what else do we have to do at 5 a.m but talk about calvinism and arminianism absolutely <laughs> this is just a typical friday for me can i, don't can know. I make one last statement that's absolutely my, i'll make it short Sure. When progressivism really started spreading in North America, and I think it really started taking root in the late 1990s, mm-hmm. Calvinism exploded. The Reformed theology exploded, and it's not a coincidence. The reform, the reason so many people have become attracted to re- the reform movement is it gives you an anchor and a secure place mm-hmm. and a much more biblical foundation than progressivism does. So when Gospel Coalition, for example, came out, mm-hmm. I think a big part of the reason it came out, you know, Keller and Carson and others, as they were trying to say, no, we want a biblical alternative to progressivism. So I do want to say, I actually think Calvinism in America has done an enormous amount of good in, in preventing a lot of people from going, really leaving biblical Christianity altogether. So uh, if you're a Calvinist listening, like, I'm really proud of you. I'm glad to be your brother. Hope you consider me your brother, but if you don't, <laughs> I'll see you in heaven and prove you wrong. Um, <laughs> but uh, but but my point is, I, I don't, I sure don't want to sound ungracious to what I think has been a really important movement and sure. helpful to the Christian faith. So there you go. Absolutely. Well, that's a really important, I think, uh, distinction to to make. So, well, awesome. Well, David, uh, thank you so much, man. We're gonna uh, we're gonna end this this part, and then Gabe and I are gonna jump back on here a little bit to kind of debrief. But uh, man. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much. Great. Y'all have a good day. Good right. talking to you, David. You too, All right. brother. All right. Bye-bye. See you, man. Yeah. So, Gabe, that was uh, – David's incredible. Incredibly smart, isn't he? Yeah. He's like a like a walking, talking encyclopedia. <laughs> it's like, yeah, man. I, I mean, it's really impressive at 5 in the morning. He can recall his information and history and stuff. It's, it makes me so jealous. He, uh, he, if you've ever heard him preach or seen him preach, it's so funny. Cause like, he'll get up there and just like crack jokes and be super casual and funny. And people mm-hmm. are just like laughing hysterically and have, you know, he's got a meeting out of their hand and you're just like, man, this guy is so entertaining and so engaging. And then it's like, he flips a switch and just starts talking about like history and 
<laughs> like, I mean, funny. he's just, he's, he's just incredible, but cool. great, great guy. Good friend of mine. So, um, man, what do you, what do you think? And Gracie has watched an Incredibles on the show. <laughs> she wanted everybody to know that. Um, what, like, dude, I got so much to process, man. This is, it's crazy. Cause it's like, once I heard Mike talk about Calvinism and reformed theology, it all started <laughs> making a lot of sense. And then David hopped on and kind of unpack some issues with it. And now I'm kind of just like, what do I believe in? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's, that's that's really good to do though. I mean, what that's a really healthy thing to do is, is, uh, is, you know, to hold these things loosely and say, okay, I'm going to hear, uh, you know, Proverbs 15, 22 and and seek a multitude of counsel on it. Um, so no, that's good that your head is spinning and that's good that you're like, well, what do I, what do I do? That's all this information. How do I process this? And, it's good that we're doing this for other people as well, because these questions are going to come up for other, yeah. other people. And we can, you know, as shepherds of, of, of a flock, we can say, you know, let me, let me share with this resource with you. We've gone through this and we've actually with a fine tooth comb kind of worked through these theologies and, and let, let me recommend these episodes to you. And then you, you can come back to me with any questions, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a tedious work, but it's a good one, I think. Yeah. Well, and I think the, the part of it that I'm, you know, trying to process is I've always kind of considered myself and I'll just go ahead and play my cards. You ready? Uh Oh, yeah, I know somebody's listening this far into the episode. You deserve to know what I am. Um, (laughs) I've always considered myself a guy with kind of reform leanings Yeah, in the sense of the part of Calvinism that really appealed to me was, um, you know, the, the idea that I can't take any credit for what God has done in my life. Right. Right. You know, and I would consider myself maybe like, what I thought was a fair assessment was a three point Calvinism. You know, Mm. I I would consider myself probably leaning more towards that. Mm. But then after my conversation with David, I don't even know if I can be that. Your whole world is (laughs) is shut. Yeah. I don't even know if that is such a thing. Um, But, but no, I I feel like there are so many things about Calvinist thought that I'm indebted to Mm. and that I'm grateful for. And, you know, again, a lot of that is the work of God, his sovereign grace, that um that saved me and it had nothing to do with with me i think that part of it is very biblical and it's very reverential like it it mm-hmm. it is just kind of grounded in this all of the glory of god um but i do see some of the issues with it you know in terms of when when david was talking about how you would have to admit there are people that god has created specifically for the purpose of roasting in hell you know yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe a Calvinist like I'm, I'm playing, I guess, devil's advocate a little bit. Like maybe a devil's a, a Calvinist would say, "Well, God didn't create them. That was the choice of two human beings to procreate and creating that individual, and that wasn't on God's list of people that He wanted." So I don't well, know. Then, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, well, then a good Calvinist would say, "Well, then no, God's sovereign over everything." So yeah, yes, yeah, He did, and know. they would basically say, "We can't question God because God's good in everything He does." So you know, there's no. That's yeah, he did yeah. it, and there's no you know nothing. Even if we don't like it, too bad. Yeah, I just, <laughs> we're not God, right? I can't. I cannot go. I just can't go there. I can't. I, I don't think that I enough. can either, man. I, I it's so at the, at the end of the day, I think if someone were to ask, hey, where where do you lean now, Josh? I mean, I, I still feel like there's probably more of a reformed flavor in my preaching and and teaching and leading in terms of you know I, I'm always wanting my sermons to end in worship of God and Mm -hmm. and in response to the work he's done. But one could say, because I'm landing at (laughs) 
responding to the work mm-hmm. that God's done, that that is actually Arminian. That's not mm-hmm. Calvinism. Because a Calvinist, a, a pure Calvinist would say, no, there's not really much response you can give to that. Um, I think, I, I, again, I'm sure there's, I'm probably going to get emails from people that are going to be, you know, that's not what we say is a Calvinist. But, right, right. Uh, you know, I, I think David made a very important distinction between American Calvinism versus classic yeah. Calvinism. When it seems like that, that like classic Calvinism, that, that ethanol free Calvinism. Right, right, right. Pure unfiltered. Yeah, you have to go there. You have to ask those kinds of tough questions. Well, did God mm-hmm. create certain people? Did he allow certain people to come into this world? Um, in his sovereignty, did he, I guess, yeah, did he create them for the yeah. purpose of them spending, you know, eternity in hell? You know, so that's, did he create sin? And, but yeah, it does seem to create sort of this uh, laziness when it comes to reaching out and, and evangelizing that I noticed even within, um, you know, just being a member of a, of a Presbyterian church, a conservative Presbyterian church. Sure. Um, that there is, there's a very little emphasis on like, get out there, beat the streets, you know, like let's, let's win souls for Christ, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to a certain extent, like the, the introvert, the shy introvert in me appreciated that. Um, it just, almost gave you a theological crutch to be like, well, I guess I don't have to because God's going to do it anyway. Right, right. And I was like, okay, I, I just, I want to kind of just stay in my living room and, just, and study, you know, and study, th- you know, it, that's a, the headiness of it kind of appealed to me as well. Right. Um, so that, yeah, there's, there's, like he said, there's a huge debt of, uh, debt of gratitude we have to Calvin and what he did to restructure how the church in the Western world worships. I think that's, I think he did a good job of, of pulling that forward and saying, Hey, I can't critique Calvinism without saying, thank you to Calvinism, you know? Right, 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 right. Well, and I thought it was interesting how he pulled in, you know, that you had essentially 1600 years of church history before Mm -hmm. Calvin showed up. And obviously the reformers did something significant. I mean, the church needed reforming, right. Mm -hmm. But even Augustine, he, he said, you know, Augustine would not be considered Calvinist at all in the least bit. I mean, you just didn't have that sort of line of thought. I mean, you might have had some people leaning towards that, but it wasn't, you know, as fleshed out. Um, Yeah. Okay. So one last thing, I just have to ask it like Mm -hmm. the whole, can you lose your salvation argument? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's a, that's a really good, and and even I thought David's point, it was very helpful. It was a distinction of you can't, it's not necessarily a losing a salvation as it is a, choosing consciously to say, I do not want to follow Jesus anymore as my King and my master. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think, um, let me, if I could quote a famous, uh, theologian here, uh, let me, see, let me pull the verse up here. The famous theologian, Carmen, which by the way, rest in peace, Carmen. Did he pass? Yeah. Did you not know that? No, I had no idea. Oh, wow. You just, just yeah, dude. my day. Oh, no, I'm wow, sorry. How old was yeah. he? I think he was 65, maybe. Wow. How did yeah, he man. pass? Uh, there's complications from, yeah, surgery, but he oh, he was man. battling cancer. His cancer came back. But, oh, uh, man. Yeah, man. That is, I know. Uh, <clears throat> we should do a whole episode about Carmen. Of, yeah, a tribute. So, yeah, um, yeah with, with you know, the question of like losing your salvation, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. 
so um yeah let me let me read verse three consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart so in other words run the race right and sin entangles us now i'm picturing like this olympic runner with like an extension cord you know tangled around his legs (laughs) and him tripping and falling but it's like we have the choice you know, so we could sit there on a butt and like untangle ourselves and get up and continue to run. Or we could just be like, whatever, this is just too much work. I'm not going to do this. But yeah, I mean, until I cross that finish line, um, I'm going, I'm going to throw off and attempt to throw off everything that hinders um, and so easily entangles. Right. So um, yeah, I think, I think, like I said, until I, until I cross that finish line, I'm, I'm going to be wrestling with this thing called flesh that Gabe Rutledge is, is packaged inside. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's, I think that the whole idea and especially the book of Hebrews, there's so many warning passages about, you know, endure, don't fall away, keep following Mm -hmm. Jesus, cast Mm -hmm. off the sin, all that kind of stuff. And it's this, you know, whole teaching of he who endures to the end will be saved. Mm -hmm. So a Calvinist would say, okay, who is it that endures to the end? Well, the elect, those are the ones that endure to the end. And I think Mm -hmm. an Arminian would say the same thing, but the rub would be and the disagreement would be, okay, how does one not endure to the end? Mm-hmm. Do they not endure to the end because they never were elect or do they not endure to the end because they received this and then looked at God and said consciously, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to go follow yeah. my son. Or I'm going to go follow another God. And so again, we were kind of getting to the same place, but we're using different, do you, do you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I, I, I'm, personally of the belief that one cannot lose their salvation if they if they do fall away to me that's an indication that that never truly happened they never really had a true genuine conversion experience that's that's kind of my my personal belief in that and i could point to a lot of different passages and if you know you're listening to this and you want to know like let's get coffee i'll talk to you about it but again where i'm arriving with an arminian that would say no you can you can fall away by that mm-hmm. conscious choice of choosing not to, like it's, it's the same thing, right? We're <laughs> arriving at the same place. I think what David really made very clear, and I thought was very helpful is the whole, you know, a good Arminian is not saying, Hey, you, you stubbed your toe and your last word was, you know, a cuss word. And then a piano falls in your head and you die. Okay. You're going straight to hell. Cause you didn't repent. Right. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's not even in the same neighborhood. That's just bad theology period, you know? Mm-hmm. So interesting. What do you think Jesus was? <laughs> hmm. He did have a beard, so maybe I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. I'm trying not to be presumptuous. I'm also trying not to be blasphemous. <laughs> was he well, a, was he an Arminianist or a Calvinist? I, I mean, but, but obviously it's yeah. a chronistic question to ask. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, he was probably an equal opportunity offender of both. So. Yeah. Hey, in closing, anybody listening to this, if you're still listening, I'm sure you have questions. I'm sure um, there's probably things, depending on which side you lean. Um, And sorry if you hear my mic getting hit around. Um, I have four children under the age of five in my house right now and four adults, and everybody is stirring right now, including my two-year-old who's climbing all over me, and she has her cup with hot chocolate. I don't know if you can see or not, but... uh, so here's here's kind of my appeal to everybody still listening to this. It, de- depending on which side of the argument you lean, you probably heard something either today or in the last episode you disagreed with. So 
can I tell you that's okay? Um, <laughs> it's okay to hear something you disagree with. The question is, was your mind already made up on these issues before you listened? Mm. And if the answer is yes, then you kind of just wasted your time because all it did was just entrench you further in what it is you already believed. And I would say that's a terrible way to do life and learn anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My appeal to anyone is if you heard something that maybe rubbed you the wrong way to ask why and to give it a fair shake and to give it a fair study and to um, be as diligent as you can to be open-minded about some of these things um, with your Bible open. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No. Well, good deal. I probably better hop off before I have like my whole office overrun with yeah. So, all right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And, and yeah. feel free to like, send an email. What's, throw our email address out there. Yeah, it's Beards and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. Cool. You can also message us on the Facebook group. Um, yeah. So send us in your questions, accuse us of heresy, and it'll be great. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.